right, so if you guys have a copy of God's Word, why don't you go ahead and find John 14 this morning. We'll probably spend most of our time in John, even though I'll, I'll definitely be bouncing around a little bit today. Uh, we uh, concluded a couple of weeks ago, we concluded our uh, study in the book of Revelation. We spent basically this entire year, the better part of this year, working through that book. I think that uh, just getting some feedback, uh, I think some of you are like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm not ready for it to end. I'm, I want to know more. Uh, then some of you are like, Phew. glad that's over. Um, but you know what? It, it's uh, God's word never returns void. And, and if anything, I hope and pray you guys will uh, have a better handle on the book itself and, and be able to use that moving forward in your own personal lives and study. And uh, who knows, we may begin to see some of these things that we've been studying begin to transpire even in our own lifetime, and uh, that would be quite interesting. But nonetheless, uh, that study is over, and so it, it's amazing how God, you know, as a pastor, one of the most difficult things for me is to preach topically. <clears throat> and what do I mean by that? Well, the book of Revelation is simple, because you start Revelation 1 and you just go, go through the book. And it's called expository preaching. I love to preach expositorily through a book of the Bible. It just, it, God already has the messages prepared for you, and you don't have to make anything up. Uh, now that we're in kind of the Christmas season and we're finished with the study in Revelation, I, I began to pray, okay, Lord, we have four weeks in December. Uh, what, would it, what would you have me to preach topically and the Christmas season, you know, is always a challenge because as a pastor, sometimes, I, I, and I think many preachers would, would agree with this, you, you kind of think, well, pe people have kind of heard all the Christmas messages. Like, I mean, how many Christmas messages can you, can you really preach? Uh, and I know that's not the way to look at it. But again, we're, we're human and we think that way. At least I do sometimes. And because uh, you want to you be able to provide kind of a fresh perspective on, on the Christmas season and all of that. And and so I was praying and uh, spending some time talking to God about what I would share with you guys. And he brought the five love languages to me. How many of you have ever read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages? If you haven't, I highly recommend it to you. Um, and basically, Gary Chapman, he was a, he's an author and teacher and, and back in the early 90s he wrote this book called the five love languages and it's primarily for for spouses to know how to give and receive love how to communicate love because that that is ultimately our, our greatest desire is to be what just want to be loved and what happens in relationships is that what Gary Chapman pointed out and this book had a profound impact in my life because it taught me that not everybody speaks the same what? Language of love. And so what we often do as um, individuals is that whatever, whatever love language we speak, that's typically the love language that we communicate to other people. But that may not necessarily be their love language. And so you might be going out of your way and just going all out trying to show somebody love through your love language, and they're not getting a single bit of it because it's not communicating anything to them. And so as I read the book, 
I begin to understand that we all give and receive and communicate love in different languages. And there's five primary love languages. And, and again, if you want to go and read the book, I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking down that book necessarily. But we're going to take the five primary love languages. And, what, and, and one thing that you should know is, number one, what is your primary and secondary love language? Number two, what is your spouse's primary or secondary love language? And you can even do this for your own children. How do, how, does your, how do your children or grandchildren, how do they communicate love? What's their love language? And it's important because the, more, the better that we know each other and that we know which love language they speak, then we're able to meet them where they are and communicate love in that language so that they're getting full, they're getting filled up, they're getting loved on, right? And so that's kind of the premise of the book. And, and, I, and I, for some reason, God brought that. I haven't, I haven't read that book in many, many years. Now, when I do premarital counseling, I always require any couple who's getting married, I require them to take a love language test. Because going into a new marriage, you need to know what your spouse's love language is. So I, I, I often refer to it in, in counseling and things like that. But for some reason, God brought this, this book back up to my mind, the five love languages. And as I begin to think about that, and when I begin to think about the Christmas season, it dawned on me. Jesus speaks every one of the five love languages. And he does it perfectly. And that's important. Because if our greatest need and deepest desire is just to be loved, then isn't it, isn't it important that we understand that there is a God in heaven who loves us personally and intentionally and perfectly. And he meets us and he communicates love to us, no matter what your love language may be, Jesus loves you in that language better than anyone else ever possibly could. And that's really what the whole message of Christmas is about. It's about understanding that Jesus Christ has come to show us divine love. And so we're going to take some time over the next three weeks to look at, some, uh, look at these primary love languages that, that Gary Chapman wrote about, but then I'm going to take it and I'm going to show you how Jesus communicates those love languages to you and me in a perfect and a personal way. And that's what Christmas is all about, the reality that Emmanuel has come and God is with us. And so that's where we are and that's where we're headed. So Jesus has come to demonstrate God's perfect love and he's going to speak these five love languages like no one else can. And so we're going to see how that through, we're going to see the, we're going to look deeper into the heart of God through the work in the person of Jesus Christ so that he reminds us of how amazing his love really is. At the end of today's service, we're going to sing amazing love, right? How can it be that you, my king, should die for me? This, this amazing love of the gospel that we see at in the season and in the spirit of Christmas. So no one speaks the language of love like God. We know the scriptures tell us that God is love. 1 John chapter 4. So, so God is the very essence of love, okay? 
Now, I want to I wanna start off by giving us a, a little, some qualifiers. I think it's important for us to define love. Love is a, a word that we use in the English language uh, quite casually. I love the Dallas Cowboys. It's a curse, trust me. I love to eat food. I love a sunny day. I love music. We use that word, right? But if I tell my wife I love you, and she thinks that my love for her is equated to my love for the Dallas Cowboys, something's quite wrong there, right? Those aren't the same type of what? That's not the same type of love. And we understand that. But in the English language, we use that word very casually to describe many different things. But the way that the scriptures use the word love, of course, there's different words for love. Phileo, brotherly love. Eros, which is romantic love. But agape, we, we've heard that word agape, which is that, that divine love, that unconditional love. That, that God-like love, the, the love that really comes from the heart of God. So let me give you a couple of qualifiers real quick before we even talk about the love languages. First thing that we need to remember is that love is an action and a commitment more than it is an emotion or making a comment. And what do I mean by that? You can tell somebody all day long, I love you. But what do your actions say? What communicates more, our words or our what? Our actions. Love is not just saying or making a comment that you love somebody. Love is truly an act. Furthermore, love is making an unconditional commitment to somebody. As Jesus told us so many times, how easy it is for us to love people who love us back. That's easy. But then he goes a step further and he says, I want you to take it even further. I want you to love your very enemies. Love those who hate you. Bless them. See, that's a whole different type of love. And and just, just to be sure, love and like are not the same thing either. I don't have to like you. But I got to what? I got to love you. And there is a difference in that. And so when we start talking about love, we need to make sure it's not just an emotional thing. Are emotions involved in love? Yes. There should be an emotional element to what we call love. It should stir our hearts. It should compel us deep, deep down inside. It should move us to action. So there is an emotional component to this. But it's not just emotional. It's about commitment. It's about making a commitment to someone. And here's the kicker. Even we love them, even when they don't deserve it. That's love. Uh, I was talking to to my son Jordan uh, just last night. It it was great. Uh, Our school, his school does an abstinence class for, for students. It's wonderful. They teach them the value of Saving yourself for your spouse, for your future bride, to, 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 to remain pure, sexually pure. And, and, and we were talking about that. He says, you know, and he, he was telling me, you know, my son's teaching me. He's like, hey, you know, there's a difference between love and, and infatuation, right? Infatuation is this emotion. It's fleeting. You, you know, we think it's, it's the only thing that we can think about for a period of time. But then it what? It goes away. It's, it's ephemeral. It's fleeting. It's, it's fading away. 
Love is so much different. Love is a commitment. It's when you're, when you're saying, okay, you and me, we're in this thing together and we're committing ourselves to each other and we're going to do this regardless of circumstances, regardless of uh, how you are or, or, or the way that you act or whether you're deserving of it or not, you know. That, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about love. And I think it's important that we understand just the basic foundation of what love is according to God and according to the Scripture. Love is the greatest virtue. Paul said, faith, hope, and love remain these three. But the greatest of these is what? Why? Y'all know this? When we get to heaven, we won't need faith anymore. Did you know that? Because our faith will become sight. When we get to heaven, we won't need hope anymore. Our hope will be realized. We have arrived. We're with the Lord. We're in heaven. We're in his presence. But when we get to heaven... We will always have what? Love will endure. Love will always endure forever. That's why it is the greatest virtue. It's the highest calling. It's our deepest desire. In the great play, Les Miserables, there's a line in that, in that play that says, when we love another human being, it is as if we look into the face of God. That's what I'm talking about. When we love, we are most like him. And so today what I want to do is I just want to look at one of the five love languages, and I'm going to give them to you real quick so because we're going to talk about them over the next couple of weeks. But the five love languages that Gary Chapman wrote about in, in his book, and again, I encourage you guys to go, and you can even do like a, a brief summary if you just want to find, if you can do a test, go online, Google it, a five love languages test, do, do your own test, find out what your love language is, and then have your spouse or your kids or, you know, people in your life, let them do it too. It's fun. It's a good exercise, right? Okay. But here, here they are. Ready? So you have quality time, quality time is what we're going to talk about today. You've got words of affirmation. Some people, man, when you say, I'm proud of you, I love you, good job, man, when you say those things, man, it just fills them up. Words of affirmation. Some people's love language is acts of service. So when you do something for them, you serve them, they come home to a clean house or you've done the laundry or you've cleaned out their car or you've done something like that, man, that just communicates love to them in a profound way. Okay, so you've got quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service. You've got physical touch. Some people communicate, give and receive love just by physical touch. They want you to hold their hand, to, to, to give them a hug, to scratch their back. You know, just, just being present physically with someone is, is a very powerful love language. And then the last one is, is receiving gifts. And so some people, when you go out of your way, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to buy an expensive gift, but it just means that you, you, you give them a thoughtful gift. You, you do something for them where you, you made an attempt to be thoughtful, whether it's something you, you created yourself or maybe you bought them something that you think that they would love. But when you give them that gift, it fills their love tank. Okay, so those are the five love languages. Today, we're just going to really focus in on quality time. And then we'll take the others as we go in the next couple of weeks. So quality time is the love language that is best communicated by simply spending what? Just spending time together, right? This is one of my, my just me personally, this is one of my, my love languages. Um, well, actually, this is one of my, my wife's primary love languages. Excuse me. 
Um, I mean, in all of them, you know, we, we, we have a little bit of all of them, but you're usually going to have one or two primary ones, okay? So quality time just simply means spending time together. Now, let me, these are the key words. Intentional time, undivided time, free from distractions. And here's what's amazing about the love language of quality time. Sometimes you don't even ever have to say a word. You're just being. You're just there with each other, together, focused on the same thing, removed all the distractions out of the way, undivided attention. That's quality time. Holding hands, taking a walk, watching the sunset, just listening to music, all of those things. So we're going to look at how Jesus today... He meets our primary love language. If that love language is quality time, I want to show you today how Jesus meets us in that love language of quality time. Many times it's been said that you can spell love, T-I-M-E, T-I-M-E. So one of the things that we have to distinguish is for someone who communicates love through quality time or, or if this is their love language the, the one thing that would really hurt them the most is if either you neglect them or you don't make time for them or if when you are with them you're distracted with something else right so how many of you have been in that, that situation where you just want to watch a movie hey all right we're going to watch our new show together and we sit down on the couch, and your, your love language is quality time, and this is, this is a big deal. We're going to be together. We're going to do the same thing. We're all going to be focused on the same thing. And about 10 minutes into the show, I'm over there on my what? What did I just communicate? I don't love you because I'm, I'm distracted. I'm, I'm not giving you that attention. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. This is where quality time really communicates love to many, many people. And some of you out there may know exactly what I'm talking about. So let me just give you a couple of uh, points today that I, I've provided. If you have your handouts, if you have your bulletin, you can follow along with us. The first thing I want to share with you guys is God the Son, Jesus, entered space and time as a man to demonstrate divine love and initiate a personal relationship with us. This is what the Christmas season is all about. God, the Son, entered space and time. He took on flesh. He became a man. He was born as a child. And he did this for many reasons. We could talk about the cross. We could talk about the resurrection. But one of the primary reasons that God went out of his way to break into our space-time uh, world in which we live, he did this to show us, to demonstrate what divine love really is. So Jesus, again, he's the personification of love. And to, this is key, to initiate. Who's the initiator in the relationship with God? Who is it? He is. God is always pursuing. He's always initiating. He's the one that came to us. He knew that there was no way for us to get to him. So part of the Christmas story is the reality and the glory and the blessing of God coming to us. To initiate personal relationship if there's one thing that sets apart the christian faith from all other religions in the world 
is that only in the Christian faith does God offer us a what? Personal relationship. Very, very important that we understand that. Uh, the psalmist said this, Psalm 8, listen to this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your, the, of the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... So how many of you have ever been out there and you've, been, you've looked at the Milky Way and you've seen the stars and the galaxies and they're just all before you or you stand before a mighty ocean or a mountain range and you, it makes you feel so what? Small. You look at the beauty and glory of God's creation like, man, I'm so insignificant. That's what it makes us feel like. But listen to what the psalmist says. When I look at the creation, when I look at the work of your hands, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. What is the psalmist telling us? Even though it would be easy for us to look at the creation and think we are so insignificant in the eyes of God. He reminds us that he loves us. He wants a relationship with us personally. That's what... Jesus has done for us. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Jesus broke into our time. Now, you may say, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is Jesus is the eternal word. That means he has no beginning. He has no end. He's eternal. He has existed forever. Before the foundation and the creation of the world, Jesus existed as God the Son. He had no limitations on him, being God in the very nature, in nature God. And yet because of his love for us, Jesus, in Philippians 2, it says that he took on the form of a man, becoming a servant. He entered into our world in human form, which means that he took all of the limitations of our world. So for those 30 or 33 years, however long Jesus walked the face of the earth, for that time frame, Jesus was bound, for the most part, by our physical laws of this universe. Time being one of them. Jesus knows what it's like to wait. Jesus knows what it's like to have to live day after day after day in the natural rhythms of what we call time. It's a fascinating thing if you really think about it. The creator, the God of the universe, the one who created it all, limited himself, bound himself to the physical laws of this universe by entering into this creation as a what? As a man. Fascinating. See, this is what Jesus is really all about. This is what the Christmas season is really all about. Think about the ways that Jesus showed us and demonstrated love by giving quality time, by, by showing people that they, that they matter. When you read through the Gospels, one of the things that really jumps out to me is Jesus had the uncanny ability to be present with people. That, that I believe that Jesus was the type of, of a man that when you talked with him and when he talked with you, that you felt like you were the only person in the room. 
He had that unbelievable capacity to, to make you feel like you're the most important person in the world at that moment. That's how he dealt with people in his life and his ministry. So when we think about the ways that Jesus demonstrated love through quality time, by making others feel important and valued and heard and seen. Think about this. Think about all the time that he spent with his, with his disciples. I mean, that was their life, y'all. They spent day after day after day together. They were friends. I mean, he had so much patience with them, didn't he? So much patience with his disciples. He walked with them. He talked with them. He, he listened to them. They just, they just hung out. You know what quality time to me really communicates more than anything? This is something that, that sometimes I even have trouble um, dis making a, dis a distinction between sometimes we just need to learn how to be instead of thinking that we have to do. In anybody there? It's kind, of, it's kind of the Martha Mary conundrum, you know? But... All of us, I think, struggle with that, that especially in my wife, she, she shared last night here at the, the women's Christmas dinner. It was a great turnout, an awesome night. One of the things she pointed out that in the time of the Christmas season when we're so, the hustle and bustle and the busyness and the rush and all the madness and things, the chaos and things. That, and so it's almost like you wear yourself out just to get to this dinner that nobody really wants to be at at that point because everybody's in an ill mood. And then you, you struggle just being with each other because you can't stop thinking about all the things you have to do. Jesus shows us what it means to be. To just be with each other. And, and it's not, that doesn't come naturally to me. Sometimes it doesn't come naturally to many of you. So Jesus spent time with his disciples, the patience he showed. Jesus, he spent time with sinners. Think about that. He was accused of being a, a drunkard, eating and drinking with sinners. But he spent time with them. He, he, he engaged them. Jesus spent time with women. Now you say, well, what's, it, what's so big deal about that? Because you have to understand in the culture of first century uh, Judea, women in many regards were considered to be kind of second-class citizens. They, they were subjugated many times to lesser roles or, or lesser priority in, in society. And yet when you see Jesus and how he dealt with people like Mary Magdalene and Mary and Martha and many of the other uh, women who, who became his disciples, he, he made them feel valued. He made them feel important. And you know how he did that? Spending time with them. Giving them a voice. Allowing them to be heard. Bringing them into his group. That, guys, that was, that was radical in his day. To, to see what Jesus did and how he engaged with people. Uh, I love this. Jesus spent time with children. Isn't that awesome? I love that we have these scriptures in the Gospels, how, how he would just say, you know, the, the disciples, uh, the crowds are, are pressing in on Jesus. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. The, the, the little children are running up to Jesus. They just want to see Jesus. And what do the disciples tell them? Get out of here, kids. Don't nobody want to see you right now. Right? And they, they, just, they just kicked him out of the way, right? And that is one of the few times in Scripture where it says Jesus became what? Indignant. He was furious. 
that his disciples would push, cast his children away. And he made a point to stop and to say what? Let the little children come to me. Bring them on in. And what did he do? He laid his hands on them. He blessed them. He hugged them. He loved them. Probably played, and played with them, laughed with them. He spent what? Spent time with them. Parents, I get convicted of this all the time. I tell you what, there's so many times when I just, I just want to throw that thing down. Because my son, he comes up to me and he's trying to have a conversation with me or he wants to talk to me or my wife and, and I find myself wanting to go to look at my phone. Anybody else struggle with that? That's what I'm talking about. Is that, that, that when you only have this one precious opportunity to raise your children and I look, I have two adult children now. I have one that's still in the house. And I look back and I do have regrets. I do wish I spent more time with them. That, that I wasn't so distracted and worried about all this other junk, stupid stuff, probably stuff that doesn't even matter. When, you know, when your kids stop asking you, hey, dad, you want to go outside and play? It ought to break your heart. Because how many times have your children come up to you and say, hey, dad, hey, mom, hey, well, you want to come do this? You want to go outside? You want to go ride bikes? You want to go outside and play? Oh, not right now. I'm really, I'm just too tired right now. You never get that back. Right? That's what I'm talking about. But Jesus wasn't like that. He knew exactly how to spend time with people to make them feel important. He spent time with poor people, with lepers with the sick and the blind beggars, all those who were marginalized and all those who were cast aside in his society, he made a point to go to them and touch them and look at them and spend time with them and make them feel loved. You really truly do spell love, T-I-M-E. Because what Jesus is all about, he's all about relationship. If you want to sum up the Christian faith in one word, it's what? It's a relationship. It's about a relationship with the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. Think about that. The creator of the universe wants to spend quality time with you. I want you to think about that. Let me say that again. The creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to spend what? Just he wants to spend time with you. That's the gospel. That's Christmas. Number two. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be present with us always. And, and, and in doing so, the, the Romans 5 says that he, he pours out his love into our hearts. So what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit by faith, when we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and he is united. There's a spiritual union that takes place. So the Spirit of Christ is united with our spirit and he pours out his love into our hearts. And this is the beautiful thing. It's an endless supply. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's like the springs of living water that well up within you. It's an endless supply of love. Now, this is where I want to look at John 14. Y'all look at John 14 with me. Verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We'll come back to that later. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, how long? Forever. 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Talking of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You think about a picture of an orphan. No parents. Nobody to love them. Nobody to spend time with them. Jesus is like, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. Because I live, you also will live. Verse 19. So what we want to see here, and, and this is something that we, we've all heard before and we all know, but I just want you to, to think about it once more, is that Jesus, in limiting himself for that 30 or 33-year period on the earth as a man, he bound himself in the physical laws of the universe, he, he entered into his creation, but then he died. We know he was raised on the third day. He spent 40 days discipling his, uh, his, the believers, and then Jesus ascended to heaven. He left the earth. And the disciples are like, Lord, why would you do this? They, they didn't quite understand it. Lord, where are you going? We don't understand. We thought you were here for good. And what did he tell them? He says, hey, hey, guys, you don't understand. It's better if I go away. Because once I go away and ascend to my Father in heaven, guess what? We're going to send to you the Holy Spirit. So that we're no longer limited by space and time. But from that point forward, everyone who has a relationship with me and believes in me, they have my spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwelling where? In them. So that now the relationship is inseparable. There's nowhere that you can go that he's not with you. What an amazing gift. We take that gift for granted. And what that does for us, y'all, is that it allows God to be 100% accessible. He's always available. He's never too busy. He's always there. He's very much present with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will be with us always. That's the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus made a way for us as his children to experience this intimate personal relationship with him even after he ascended back to heaven because he gave us this great gift, the gift of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So now when you're talking about quality time, Jesus says, I'm available to spend quality time with you 24-7, 365, every single day of the year, every moment of every day. I'm available. I'm here. I'm with you. What a gift. We take that for granted. I know I do. So Jesus, he, he wants a personal relationship. He came to demonstrate quality time in the flesh. As he ascended to heaven, he sends us the spirit so that we can have this ongoing relationship with him within us because now the spirit dwells in us. And then here's the even better news. Listen to this. Number three, Jesus provided the only way for us to spend an infinite amount of time in eternity with him. Think about this. Jesus made the only way for us to live forever. When we trust in Jesus and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, it says that we're sealed until the day of redemption. 
course, we talked a lot, a lot about that in, in the study of Revelation. When Jesus returns, we receive our resurrected bodies. We're now glorified like him. We're immortal. We will dwell with him. He will dwell with us. We will be with him how long? Forever. I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will be mine forever. So we have that united spirit with Christ. We receive eternal life. And here's the beautiful thing about the gospel, guys. When you trust in Jesus, you receive eternal life at that very moment. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says whoever has the Son has life at that moment. The Bible says that whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has crossed over from death into life. What's Jesus telling us? He's saying the minute that we trust him, believing in him, receiving this gift of eternal life, eternal life is not something that we get when we die. Eternal life is something that we get when? Instantaneously. Because his spirit is now united and unified with our spirit, and his spirit is eternal, so now we have become what? Eternal. It's as simple as that. And so, guys, what I want to just drive home on this point is that we as Christians should have a different perspective about time than everybody else in the world. What do I mean by that? If you're a pagan or an atheist, or you're unsure of your eternal destiny, this life and this world is all you have. This is it. You might get 70, you might get 80, you might even get 100 years, and that's it. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. If this is it, it's not worth living. That's the way I look at it. If there's not something more, if there's not something eternal, this life is not worth living. So as a Christian, what does that do for you and me? It gives us a new perspective about time. Let me give you an example. Your 16-year-old son comes up to you. Mom, Dad, I really sense a calling on my life to go into the ministry. I think God's calling me to go to foreign missions. I really believe God really wants me to go and, and spread the gospel abroad. And as a selfish parent who doesn't have a good perspective of time on this world, in this life and in this world, as a selfish parent, we're like, man, and kind of, we kind of think about that. We're like, wow, but that's, that's kind of risky. That's kind of scary. You know, we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm ready to turn my, my, my baby boy over to the heathens out there in the world. And man, missions, like I may never see, I may never what? I may never see him again. And so as a, as a carnal parent or as a selfish parent, we may subtly or maybe overtly, we may try to what? Discourage our child from obeying God's call for them to go serve Jesus because we're afraid that we may not ever get to see our child again. That's a poor perspective of time. We should be the parents that look at our child who's maybe, you know, Proverbially, they're being called to, to go on missions or, or to be an uh, ambassador for Christ overseas or whatever it may be. And we ought to be able to look at them and say, son, if this is what God is calling you to do, to go make an impact for him and his kingdom, to go make a difference for eternity, then I send you with all of my fullness of blessing because I know that if, you be, if you're obedient to God in this life, guess what we're going to get to spend in eternity together? 
all the time in the world will be ours. I want you to think about that. If you are here and your loved one is a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what you're going to get to spend in heaven? Eternity. That means all the time in the world. We're not going to miss out on time if we give ourselves to God in this life. We're going to gain time. That's the perspective I'm trying to help you see. But we have this limited, this, this a very poor perspective of time in this life, and we become selfish, and we think we got to get everything out of the 60, 70, 80 years of this life that we can, not thinking that if we're obedient and we obey God and we have a different perspective of time and we store up our treasure in heaven, guys, that we're going to get plenty of time together. It's called the kingdom. When parents and children and spouses and friends and loved ones in Christ, we will get to have that what? That time together. And it's going to be so much better than anything that we could ever imagine here. That's the eternal perspective that I'm talking about. And Jesus has made a way for us to have that eternity with him. So that Paul would say something like this. Be wise how you walk among unbelievers, making the most of every opportunity. Make the most of the time. Because the days are evil. The days are evil. Make the most of your what? Time. It's okay to sacrifice time now because Jesus gave us eternity with him later. That's a pretty good trade-off if you ask me. That's the kind of perspective that we must have. And finally, finally, what we've been talking about today is the, la- the love language of quality time. And what we've been talking about today is how Jesus, he perfectly meets that love language. Because he wants a personal relationship. He, he entered into time to give us the relationship. He demonstrated what real quality time looks like. He he gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit to indwell us so that he's always with us. His presence is with us always. And he's given us the promise of eternal life, which is something beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Now think about this for just a second. That's our love language that Jesus meets in our life. But let me ask you a question. How do we speak Jesus's love language? You know, there's one, there's really one simple word that that communicates to Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Again, love is not just about lip service. Love is not just about saying, I love you, Jesus, and then going and live our life however we want. The way that we show love and speak the love language of Jesus is through obedience. So simple. Back to John 14. Look at what he says. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Look at verse 23. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It couldn't become any clearer. Jesus is trying to remind us, guys, that if you really love him, your life will be exemplified by obedience. You will obey Jesus in heart, in mind, in attitude, in thought, in deed, in the way that you live your life. When we obey Jesus, this is your last point, when we obey Jesus by spending quality time with him and others, we are speaking his love language the loudest. So how about this for Christmas season? How about speaking God's love language Showing Jesus that we love him simply by setting aside quality time. It, what a novel idea, right? Anybody out here struggling right now with uh, your investment in your time with Jesus? Anybody? I'll raise my hand. Been struggling a little bit. Anybody find yourself putting him off? to do everything else, thinking that you're might, you may are going to get back to him later. Do we ever really get back to him? Usually not. You see, guys, it's really pretty simple. Jesus doesn't ask a whole lot, but one thing he does ask of us is what? He wants your time. He wants you to spend time with him. So as we close this message, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. When it comes to quality time with God, what's that look like in your life right now? All right, now let's remember, what does quality time mean? Free from distractions, undivided attention, right? Think about that. Now, me driving on I-240 in the crazy Memphis traffic and listening to a podcast is okay. Right, I mean, that's not a bad thing, but is that really quality time with Jesus? No, because I'm in the flesh wanting to cuss the next guy that just cut me off. You hear me? That's what I'm talking about. So what Jesus is trying to help us see is that, no, I want you to have undivided attention, free from distractions, put the phone down, turn the TV off, all that stuff, and I just want to spend what? Just spend some time with me. Open up the word. You don't have to read a whole chapter. Read a verse. I don't care. Pray. Talk to God. Just, just, just be with him. Because that, that is, the, that is the, the first step in any disciple's life is that, that we, we spend time with the Lord. We allow him to, to really pour out his love into our hearts and into our lives. And that is the first step in us being able to go out and do that and share that with others. So how are we doing in making this relationship with Jesus a priority to the point that we're investing quality time and giving him our undivided attention? Here's the question I want to ask you. What adjustments and changes are necessary in your life today to improve your love for Jesus by making time for him? Now, I know a lot of you out there are probably doing okay with your, with your walk with Christ. But as they said, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. We all could probably do a little bit better to give him a little more time 
to make that a, a, a more of a priority in our lives. So as we put the word into practice, guys, I'm going to make this real simple. We're going to sing one more song. Here's your, here's your application. Ready? Christmas season. Busy season. Lots going on. Show Jesus, if you want to talk the love language of Jesus, show Jesus your love. I'm talking to myself, guys. By setting aside quality time with him each and every day. And then that is the catalyst in our life that will allow his spirit and his love to penetrate into our heart. And if, if we spend enough time with Jesus, our hearts can only hold so much. Our hearts will begin to become what? Full. And what happens when the cup runneth over? You got a little bit more to spare to share with who? That's what, it's all, that's what it means to be a disciple. Your heart is so full of the presence and the love of God because of the time that you've spent with him that when you interact and engage with other people, his love just pours out into their lives. That's what it means to be a disciple. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about all this. It's not about the presents. You know that. It's not about all the hustle and bustle. It's not, it's not about that. It's about taking an opportunity to be Christ to the world in these dark days. Will you pray with me? Father, I love you. I thank you so much for all your blessings. We know, Lord, that you're available. We know that you're accessible. We know that you're always there. Forgive us, Father, for all the time that we have wasted. Forgive us, Father, for failing to make you a priority, Lord Jesus, in our life, that we, we seem to run after so many other things and put you last in order of importance. And there you are, always waiting, patiently waiting. I know it breaks your heart. But Lord, I just want to ask for forgiveness. That you would continue to be patient. And Lord, that all of us in this room would make whatever adjustments and changes in our life that we need to make. To show you that we love you. Not because we say it, but because we're willing to obey you. And Lord, in, in doing so, it would change us so radically that it would have an impact on all of the other lives around us. Thank you for your time, Lord. Thank you for loving us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
grace and love.